Hey y'all, before we jump into today's episode, we would like to invite you to a special event we're hosting on May 30th called Women in Whiskey. Join us for an adult field trip filled with Southern fun at the Jack Daniels Distillery right here in our home state of Tennessee. Get ready to learn while sipping. We will be taking a private tour of the distillery, enjoy a barbecue lunch on the beautiful hillside, and partake in early happy hour with cocktails provided by Jack Daniels as we listen in on a conversation with women who work in the industry. The conversation will be led by yours truly, your hosts of the Steel Magnolias podcast. Learn more about the event at steelmagnoliaspodcast.com. You can grab your tickets there and we cannot wait to see you on May 30th. And now on with the show. Welcome, y'all. Today we have a special interview with our new friend, Elizabeth Passarella. She is a writer for Southern Living, and we know you're going to get a kick out of our time talking with her. But Sis and I, we've got... We've got ketchup. We have ketchup to do. So um, what's going on in the world of the South? (laughs) Well, one of the things that I have seen this week is, you know, huge part of Southern culture is the Mardi Gras all around... Carna- the carnival. Carnival, yes, um, in New Orleans. In New Orleans. That's where one of the biggest ones is. And so they've had to cancel the parades for the first time ever since it's been going. Because they probably just got in under the wire That's last right. year. That's 2020 right. parades went happened. on. And yes. They wouldn't oh, have known if they were being super spreaders. Sad. So, yeah. So, but in the wonderful festivity spirit that is New Orleans, those people like to party. They've found a way to redeem it. You can cancel parades, but you can't cancel Mardi Gras. Are they Zooming it? What they're doing is instead of the parades, people are taking their home and making a float out of it if you will. Like the front of the house is the a The front float. of the house. They'll decorate with a theme. That's amazing. Like a float would have a theme. Yeah. So um, you can actually go on N-O-L-A, NOLA.com. Yes. And um, on there you can see some of the different. Because they're already decorated. Fronts of the homes. They're, yes, they're, and then more and more are being added. Right. Because New Orleans, I mean, uh, Mardi Gras will be on fe- mid-February. Mid-February, yeah. And so they've got a few weeks still to decorate. That's fun. You can hire. There's companies that will come out and make your porch and front facade of your home into a float. So, so like, what are some of the ones you saw? So up? I saw all different kinds of themes. There was um, a garden party that had, like, huge palm. Wow. Um, I mean, this is, like, this constructed. Is, yeah, I was going to say, this is more than some crepe paper right (laughs) um in fact I had a couple of friends from college that just went down to New Orleans for a trip and they toured Mardi Gras world which is where they make a lot of these big floats which I think would be really fun to see yeah but anyway um yeah so there's companies that are you know I saw one that was all dog themed I saw one that was um like um, pelicans, oh, wow! you know, swamp birds and so kind like, of whatever, oh, whatever theme you want. It's fun to there you. There was one that was kind of an ode to the virus. So it was sure. people with masks on and that's hilarious. Um, yeah. So isn't that cute? Well, and we did a whole episode on Mardi Gras that I can link to in our show notes. If you want to know more about that specific. Yeah. Learn more about that culture. Yeah. 
Well, I wanted to circle back on a topic that came up on last week's episode on Southern hospitality as it relates to kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We kind of were like, yeah, let us know if you've experienced a host that does does that incorporates well. kids well. And I completely flaked and did not think about my neighbor, Annie. Who oh, hosts, pool party host? Well, she hosts coffee every Friday morning with the, like, follows the school calendar, right? Okay. So we don't meet in the summer. Um, she actually op- opens up her pool usually in the summer to invite people over. But, you know, I started <laughs> going over there when my son was about six months old because I was staying home so I could go. Because yeah. it's, it's for, you know, moms, caretakers that are at home. You yeah. Because they meet kind of once the school buses have gone on. So, you know, it it was funny because I started going there when he was a baby, and it's such a sweet time of just neighborly fellowship. Oh, it's one hour, nine to ten. Okay, like everybody knows it. There's we a hard stop. It, yeah, you know, mindful of the time, but it's a really sweet time. And but as Jacob got a little bit more mobile, it got a little trickier. Yeah. Because you know, now he's full on running. He and wouldn't just all over sit on my lap and drool. Like he wanted to get into <laughs> stuff. And, you know, I remember when after a summer break, we were coming back together and he was a lot more mobile. And I was like, Annie, I don't know if I'll be able to participate. And she was like, we have seen so many kids come through this coffee time that, have, that are now in preschool now they're in school. or kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And she was like, trust me, like we can them. handle it. Yes. The first time I showed up, you know, once we were kind of back together, she had a fort she had built over her dining room table with some Play-Doh ready for him. Like she was so thought through his age and what he would like. That is so sweet to set that up. And of course, since then, you know, we don't do a fort every week. That was kind of just her like intro. This is going to work. Yeah. Trust me, mom. Um, But she always pulls some toys out and makes a space for him. And it's just the sweetest thing because I feel so confident that it doesn't bother her at all that he's there. And it doesn't bother any of the women because they've actually, now that I know them better, I know that their kids were all. They've done that too. There at one point. If they're not there now, they have done it before. So anyway, I just wanted to give an example that it can happen. For sure. And he sits in the neighboring room so I can actually see See him. See him. But, you know, she just pulls some toys out and they're new to him. That's right. That makes it so fun. So he enjoys them. Even if they're not age appropriate, they're different. Yeah. Yeah. That's so it great. can be done. Love to hear more examples of how y'all are seeing kids incorporated into times when you're trying to host or create a space for fellowship or have a meal or whatever. Well, and so. I just think it's so good because it gets them used to being around different people. It does. And yeah. that's important too. Yeah. Yeah. So, and well, I cool. need it too. So, well, we got to talk to Elizabeth Passarella. She is, she was so sweet. She's a New Yorker, but she's a Southerner. So we get a lot into the sort of push challenges of, of that. that. Yeah. But I just wanted to say, cause I didn't say this when we spoke to her, I so appreciated how vulnerable she was in writing some of the stories in her book because I think that takes a lot of courage for sure but I also think that is the key to connecting with people so absolutely I was thinking about that literally this morning and and I wish I would have said that to her that I appreciated her vulnerability so Elizabeth if you're listening thank you for um putting just not meaningful thought into it but for actually being brave and kind of sharing some stories um about your life your personal life and finally 
we have a copy of her book, Good Apple, to give away on our Instagram. So be sure and go there this week at Steel Magnolias Podcast and enter to win. You'll enjoy it and you'll laugh. You'll giggle for sure. Yeah, it's a great, great read. All right. Should we go to the table? Here we go. Go to the Zoom. I'm Lainey. And I'm Laura Beth. And we are Steel Magnolias. The strength of steel with the grace of a magnolia. We are here to have uplifting conversations about life in the South. And we've got plenty of room at our table. So pull up a chair. All right. Well, we, gosh, guys, we have a special treat for you today. We are here with Elizabeth Passarella, who is a contributing editor for Southern Living Magazine which I know all of you guys are very familiar with, and I'm sure many of you are subscribers, longtime subscribers too. She writes the column Social Graces for Southern Living, and she's the former editor at Real Simple and Vogue. She's written about food, travel, home design, parenting. I mean, have I covered the gamut yet? She lives in New York City, and at the time of this episode coming out, it's the day of her book release. So that book is called Good Apple, Tales of an Evangelical in New York. Tales of a Southern Evangelical Southern in New York. Evangelical. Yes, don't leave out the Southern. <laughs> I almost missed the critical word there, Southern. So anyway, she is hilarious, y'all. I mean, okay, I want to even just throw in a little personal um, story in introducing her. After reading an article of yours, Elizabeth, this summer in Southern Living, you were talking about, let me see if I've got the title. Yeah. Let's bring back old fashioned phone calls was the Mm -hmm. title of the article. It was so funny about landlines. I actually sought you out on Instagram just to tell you, it gave me a laugh. And I just like, I want people to, you know, writers to know when their stuff is meaningful or when it just makes people. And we appreciate it. Believe me. (laughs) Yes. So, so welcome Elizabeth. We are so happy to have you here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here. It's so much fun to talk to both of you. Well, and we feel very comfortable because not only are you um, involved with Southern Living, but you're just a Tennessee girl, right? I you're am you a Tennessee may be up girl. in the Big Apple, but you're from Tennessee. Yes, I know. I just recently, I feel like in the past year, maybe a couple of years, have sort of crossed over the threshold of having lived in New York longer than I've lived than I lived in Memphis. And that's a weird, that's a very weird thing to sort of experience, but yes, I am a Memphis girl. So, um, I do feel sometimes like people think of Memphis being in Tennessee, but really compared to Nashville or Chattanooga or Knoxville and kind of the Eastern part of the state, I do sometimes feel like Memphis is really almost more part of Mississippi or Arkansas. We feel sometimes like we get, we should be lumped in with that part of the deep South. But, um, yes, I grew up born and raised in Memphis. So I can, I can see that that makes sense culturally, especially with all the music roots that are there too. That makes a lot of sense to me. Well, we wanted to have you on, not just because you're funny and that you've got great things to say about um, Southern life, but we did want to talk a little bit about your book, Good Apple. And so um, we got a chance to read it. We got an advanced copy, but I want you to just kind of tell our listeners a little bit about the book. Sure. So um, Good Apple is a collection of essays. So it's nonfiction. It is stories about my life. 
And um, it really kind of starts, it's, it's not necessarily a traditional memoir in the sense that it follows a chronological period of my life, but it does kind of start, I guess, when I moved to New York out of college. So there are essays about um, how I ended up in New York, about falling in love with my husband, who is a New Yorker, about breaking up with my husband because <laughs> I decided he wasn't mature enough to get married, um, and just all different things. So I talk a lot about parenting. I talk a lot about marriage. Um, and, and really, and this is something that I feel like, especially in the year that we've had and what all that New York has gone through, it's really kind of a love letter to New York City, too. So I talk a lot about my Southern roots and how I've changed and stayed the same, I think, too, but how I've changed as I've lived in New York for these past 21 years. Um, so it's kind of a love letter to the city. And I think to my family, too. I talk a lot about my parents. So I, you know, I grew up in um, a sort of Christian home, but my dad's Jewish. So um, I talk a little, a lot about faith, obviously there's, that's on the cover of the book and the subtitle there. So I do talk about faith. I don't um, think of it as a Christian book. I mean, I really wrote this book kind of for the community that I live and work in here in New York for people who are just curious about how um, people go through these uh, periods in their lives with parenting, with kids, with marriage and, and struggles that they have. And this is just my example of looking through it through a different lens. So I talk a lot about my faith, but I definitely think um, I would encourage anybody who is not a Christian or does or shares a different faith, I think will really relate to it too. I think the stories are really universal. And there's a lot of ridiculous stories too. There was a rat They're in my great. apartment. Um, I got stuck in an elevator. There are a lot of sort of typical funny New York stories that anybody who has ever been um, curious about living in New York, raising a family in New York, anybody who just loves to visit New York, I think will appreciate too. Well, I would say the same. And I am single with no children and laughed so much. So oh, even though you mentioned marriage and parenting, this book is for literally for everybody. So, <laughs> well, you've lived, like you were just saying, a long time as a Southerner in New York. Um, so I'm just curious, do you feel like you've got, I would think even probably more than a roadmap, like a full-blown guide to being a Southerner in New York? <laughs> Oh gosh. Well, I think, yes. Now, I mean, there's a difference between, I think, kind of visiting, you know, what a Southerner would enjoy doing visiting versus living. Um, but yes, I have been here a long time. I've been here for almost for 21 years. I moved here in 1999. Now my husband and I did kind of have a brief back and forth where he was in law school in New Orleans and I moved down there for about a year, but it was also during Hurricane Katrina. So that was his third year of law school. So we were back and forth to New York during Katrina. So I almost feel like I commuted to New Orleans for about a year. But um, yeah, I've been here a really, a really long time. You know, I would say, number one, you're going to have to get used to the weather. Y'all can see, I know that our listeners cannot see, but I'm wearing a turtleneck sweater, which I hardly ever wear turtlenecks, but that's how cold I am right now in New York. You know, in the South, I feel like you've got the couple of months of really cold weather and you've got about eight months of warm weather and it's the opposite in New York. I do think I have had to learn the um, importance of outerwear and scarves and hats and gloves. And that was something that I've sort of, you know, took me a while to learn, but um, you know, you, you, you walk a lot, you're going to have to get used to walking a lot. Um, and obviously I think the biggest difference in living in the South versus being in New York is your space. I mean, you've got small apartments. We, we live on top of each other in apartment buildings. Um, but I have to say the most beautiful apartments I have ever seen in New York are always 
the homes of Southerners. They always belong to Southern women or Southern couples. I mean, I feel like Southerners are so good at making spaces beautiful and beautifying places and making them seem unique and, and really caring about their home and the feeling it gives them and making their homes sort of comfortable. So don't worry about how big your space is. You can make it gorgeous with your, now you do need to bring, I will say this, if you're going to move to New York, I feel like you might need to bring your grandmother's or your mother's sort of antique pie safe or whatever it is. The antiquing in New York is not good, you guys. It's not great. I don't know what it is about New Yorkers, but I feel like they don't, I don't know, they don't appreciate the same kind of antique. So I think it's more expensive. There aren't as many thrift stores. You can't go to estate sales with big houses and buy a bunch of stuff. You're gonna have to bring it with you. Um, but yeah, you know, New York, I think that, first of all, there's tons of Southerners here. I, when I think about my best friends over the course of my time here, um, they have, most of them have been Southerners. My, the, my closest friends who are also raising families here are from, one's from Nashville, one's from Austin, one's from uh, Virginia. So there are a lot of us here. You will not be alone. Um, but I think, you know, something that I talk about in the book is it is okay for New York to change you. Um, I think that I am a very proud Southerner and I love where I grew up and I have so many close friends and my mom is still in Memphis, but I'm a different person and living in a different sort of culture and being surrounded by people who are very different from you is, is always a good thing. And you, you learn from your community, you learn from the people around you, you listen, you let their experiences shape you and vice versa. And um, listen, the people watching is great. Now oh, I will yeah. say, do y'all remember in the movie Elf when Buddy is about to go down to New York City and Santa tells him, now, Buddy, they're going to tell you you're going to pass Ray's Pizza and they're all going to say they're the famous original Ray's and they're not all the same. They're the, the famous original Ray's. The real one is on 12th Street. Yes. Okay, guys, Southerners need to know if you're coming to New York, there is no good barbecue. <laughs> they're going to, they're going to act like there is people are going to say it's great barbecue. They're going to say it's Austin style or it's Kansas city style or it's Memphis style barbecue. And none of it is going to be as good as the worst barbecue place in your city. It's just not going to, <laughs> so you have to get over that. You're going to have to fly it up. Um, you just can't have the big outdoor smokers, you know, in these New York city restaurants. So it's funny. There was one place in my neighborhood that was on 109th and Broadway. It was called Racket Soul. And it was about as good as I'd ever had in the city. They have now closed. But it was about as good. And I remember going in once and I said, finally sitting at the counter, I was like, I want to know where your cook, where your, you know, your pit master's from, who is making these sides. Cause this is about the best barbecue I've had. The pit master was from Mississippi. The guy making the sides, the collard greens, everything was from North Carolina. So I trusted them, but then they closed. So you're just going to have to understand they're going to act like there's good barbecue in New York, but there is not. That's great. That makes total sense because people don't realize the amount of real estate that's needed to actually yes. produce barbecue. And so with real estate, obviously being so high in New York, that makes total sense that you guys can't have a no. whole backyard area where the pit is. I get well, that. and the danger of, like you were mentioning of the smoke house or the, you know, whatever, wherever you're doing this smoking, that means there's a lot of fire. So yeah, serious danger in the middle of a huge city. Yes, exactly. It's, it's, yeah, it's very true. That's interesting that you said you, you, that you've, you know, almost built a community of people that also are Southern in their roots. Do you feel like when you are meeting new people, I mean, obviously New York is large, so I'm sure there's a constant um, 
you know, meeting of new faces. Do you feel like you're constantly explaining yourself in a way in terms of your roots or your culture, or has your 20 year tenure there sort of given you more of a balance, would you say? You know, I don't. I think that when I first moved here, um, I did feel that. I think maybe my accent was a little stronger or um, I wasn't quite as familiar with with New York. I have a terrible sense of direction. I was always getting off subways and walking the wrong way and asking directions or talking to people on the street, making small talk with people on the street who didn't necessarily feel like making small talk with me. Um, But you know, I married a New Yorker. So that gives me some street cred up here, you guys. So my husband is from New York. And I think that, um, no, New Yorkers are used to everybody. First of all, New Yorkers love Southerners. They, They are friendly and they're, in a sense, I feel like there's a similarity that Southerners tend to be really proud of where they're from, um, really you know, kind of, there's a lot of characters, there are a lot of eccentricities that are unique to to Southerners. And it's the same with New Yorkers. They're really proud of where they come from. They understand the value of family and generations being in the same place and roots like that. And, and the um, sort of cultural aspects of really important food um, traditions and things. So I think there's some similarities. So no, I don't really feel like there's tons of Southerners up here. I don't necessarily feel like I'm always explaining myself, but, um, I also, I mean, I definitely had to explain certain things to my husband's family when we first got together, for sure. Um, I, you know, I was always bringing a cobbler or something over to people's, to their houses if I went to, and, and they thought I was nuts. I mean, they, they were ordering Italian takeout from somewhere. They're like, why is this woman bringing us a peach cobbler again? So, um, and I, yeah, so I definitely feel like there was a learning curve for, for them getting used to me, but we've, I've been around, I've been in this family for a long time. So we're, we're all... We're all, we know each other real well now. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. Well, obviously food is a huge part of Southern culture. And we heard that you have some like Southern pantry staples <laughs> that you really think, even if you can't find them on the streets of New York, they are worth the cost of shipping. <sighs> well, so I'm curious as to maybe what some of those things are. <laughs> Okay. The cost of shipping is painful. I'm going to tell you guys, the cost of shipping is painful. It is much better to pack. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I have wrapped and packed racks of ribs into my carry on. I mean, into my checked suitcase at the Memphis airport. So it is always better to just pack it up there than have to pay for shipping. So sister Schubert rolls. Now, listen, we all know them. We all love them. Um, it, they used to be available in New York. It was like, trying to find hidden gold at the end of a rainbow, but Fairway grocery store, it's a, it's a New York city chain used to carry sister Schubert's in their freezer section. And you would go to Fairway and every Southerner knew it only one Fairway location had them, not everyone. And you had to go to this specific Fairway and you had to dig around. Sometimes you get in the frozen bread aisle and there'd be all these other kinds of things you have to dig to find the sister Schubert's underneath, but every Southerner knew. And if you didn't know, somebody would tell you, oh, you want the sister Schubert's? You have to go to this location of Fairway and they carry them. But they stopped carrying them probably five, six, seven years ago. So one Thanksgiving, I did ship up sister Schubert's. I've done it a couple of times, but it is very expensive to ship. So what I should be doing is learning how to make those yeast rolls because I'm sure my grandmother had a recipe for them and my sister has made them and I, they can't be that hard. So I should learn how to make them, but I definitely have ordered sister Schubert's. You cannot get great grits up here. Now I don't order. I mean, Anson Mills makes wonderful grits. I have not ordered grits 
that much because my husband doesn't really like grits. And so if I'm making them, I'm basically making them for myself, but you can't get great grits. And then any sort of barbecue product. I mean, I, I bring up rendezvous dry rib from Memphis. I mean, dry rub from Memphis. I bring up Corky's barbecue sauce. Um, you can make any sort of slow cooker pork shoulder better if you've got a Memphis bottle of barbecue sauce. Um, one thing that I, I order pretty frequently now it is not Southern, but it has a Southern uh, connection to me is one of the things I think I miss most about the South and food is uh, black eyed peas and lady peas and those things that you get you you really don't get that up here you can get green beans you can get things but uh, lima beans and butter beans I mean my grandmother had those I remember my parents had a farm in Mississippi when I was really little and sort of the caretaker on the farm I can remember when we would leave on the weekends at the end of the weekend he would give us bags of you know freshly shelled lady peas and those are one of my favorite favorite things in the summertime to have and you can't really get that up here yeah. at the farmer's market. So I do order Rancho Gordo beans, which is not a Southern company, um, but it's an heirloom bean company, but you can get a lot of those small yellow eyed peas or black eyed peas or butter beans. And they are, they're, an, they're heirloom varieties that have been preserved and sort of rediscovered. And that company is just an amazing company. And I kind of get my, I get my pea and bean fix from them. So yeah. I do, I do order those. <gasps> That is so good. When we had uh, Jenna Bush Hager on last season, uh, we were concluding the episode and she just threw out a couple of ways that she is almost sort of remaining nostalgic to home, I think were her words. And she said she's been doing a lot of ordering of food as well. She mentioned Callie's Biscuits. I don't know if you're familiar with Callie's. Um, she mentioned Lawrence's barbecue, which I think was out of South Carolina, uh-huh. Caroline's cakes and the Southern pie lady. So she's got a sweet tooth for sure. But um, <laughs> I, I do think it's interesting the way that ordering from individual, you know, even independent stores is on the rise. Um, even due to the pandemic that we're in right now, there's everybody's sort of grabbing for any way that they can get their product out. Um, so I think it's sort of a unique time to find yourself in New York because there may be more and more available to you from home as the years yes. go on. You yes. Know? And I love being able to support those businesses and order things from them too. So yes, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But sister Schubert, I'm with you. Um, I've never tried to replicate that recipe but those are untouchable and they are gold. They are, I, I almost uh, got a sausage ones and the cinnamon roll, all of them, all of them. Well, that's what I was wondering is if you ever got any of, since you only have such a limited inventory up there, I didn't know if you even got into the other flavors. It's almost like you're thrifting for rolls up there. It, it was, it was, it was like the hunger games. You guys, you're just, you're crawling around kind of looking for supplies. Um, yes. It, it's, you only got the, you only got the plain, like, you know, Parker house rolls, no sausage, no, no cinnamon rolls. I just have to get those when I'm home. I will say, you know, it used to be Southerners would pine. I mean, we would pine for Chick-fil-A because the only Chick-fil-A in Manhattan was at the NYU dorms. I do have a friend whose husband used to sneak into the dorms. He was not a student just to get her Polynesian sauce and bring it out. But, um, cause you had to have an, a student ID to get in, but now, and so I would go home and of course I would just, you know, gorge on Chick-fil-A every day while I was home. But that, but now we've got Chick-fil-A everywhere. Chick-fil-A has taken over the world, you guys. Oh, so really? Chick-fil-A, yes, we've got lots of Chick-fil-A's in New York now. So oh, it is easy to get. It. And you know, they're, 
I have to say, I'm not sure that they do the chicken minis in the morning. I need to check. We've only ever done, you know, lunch or pick up dinner for the kids or something, but there are Chick-fil-A's and everyone should be happy to know that they are just as efficient in their line ordering and their systems in New York as they are in the drive-thrus in the South. Good to know. Yeah, I've seen lots of memes about they need to be in charge of more than just a drive-thru. Yeah, co- yes, exactly. Vaccine distribution. Yeah, exactly. get on it, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> well, in our episode last week, we talked all about Southern hospitality. And so I was just kind of curious, have you found a way to utilize Southern hospitality there in New York City? I know that's got to be a little challenging in 1,200 square feet or that kind of thing. But I have a feeling your heart would find creative ways. It does. It does. It does. But um, it's hard. You know, I think that whenever I love my apartment and if you read the book, you know how much I love my apartment. I don't want to leave just yet. Although I do think that time is coming as my third child grows out of his crib. But um, whenever I do get that hunger for a new apartment and I start to go on a war path wanting a bigger space, it's because I want a big dining room. I don't have a big dining room where I can host a huge dinner party. I mean, we can sit about six people around my table, but um, I do miss that. I miss being able to throw a party and not have my children wake up because everyone's so close together. It's hard to be really loud in the living room when your children are right, you know, just down the hallway. Um, It's difficult, but you know, the way I think about it is there are a few things. Number one, um, think about when you throw a party, where is everybody? Everybody's sitting around the kitchen island or everyone's standing in your foyer talking to each other. So I think that even in a big house in the South, people tend to congregate in little spaces and talk. So it's, it's the same here. I don't have a huge living room, but I've hosted parties for about 30 or 40 people. I, I led a mom's group, like a Bible study through my church. And uh, we hosted the Christmas party, which included all the women and their spouses and it, people just stand, but that's, that's sort of everywhere. You know, I don't think I've ever been to a cocktail party in the South where everyone's got a seat to sit down anyway. So um, I think in some ways there's a lot of similarities. Sometimes you, um, there are certain little tricks that New Yorkers use. I do know people who will roll their buildings, have coat racks, like rolling coat racks available to them to leave in the lobby. So when their guests arrive, they can put their coats, hang them up on a coat rack in the lobby so that you don't have a bunch of coats sitting around your, cause nobody has a coat closet big enough in New York. Um, you know, it is, I think it's pretty easy to be hospitable in New York. And a few reasons for that are number one, New York city is such a restaurant culture, um, has such a restaurant culture and people are so used to eating out. Of course, that's not happening right now so much. And, but people are used to ordering in and getting takeout that if you throw a party and you make something homemade, if you hand somebody a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on a plate and you make them a drink they are going to feel so loved and so cared for and so happy that I think just a lot of people in New York don't cook that much. So any anything I feel like I have ever done, no matter how elaborate or, or fancy or beautiful or simple and humble, if, if you are serving someone else, and this is the same way everywhere, if you are serving someone else, something that you have made for them and are caring for them in even that small way, I think... Um, that's easy to do wherever you live. And, you know, what's really been beautiful to me, I think, especially in the past year that we've had during the pandemic are the lessons that I've learned in New York. You know, we, we are stacked on top of each other. We're so close in terms of our living quarters. We live on top of each other, but in some ways that has made hospitality so much easier because in the early days of the pandemic, there are a lot of elderly people who live in my building. I live in a building that's about 19 floors 
And there are a lot of older people, some of them allow meals on wheels to bring their meals. Uh, some of them were not going to the grocery store in the early days of the pandemic when it was really, really rough in New York. And because we are in such close quarters, because we are this weird community where we know each other from the laundry room or the elevator, we could do some grocery shopping for someone and drop it on their doorstep. We could bring a, a serving of our dinner down to someone downstairs without ever even having to leave the building. And it was so easy to serve people. And that's hospitality too. It doesn't always Absolutely. have to be someone in your house. Absolutely. Um, so that was been that has been really neat to see our community become smaller as we don't really leave or go a lot of places, but become really close knit and be able to serve each other in that way. Wow. That encourages my heart so much listening to you talk about your neighbors. We talked a lot on, on the last week, um, last week's episode about, you know, who is your neighbor and, um, how do we be hospitable towards them? And so, um, I just, sometimes I have a perception that even if you were to be in New York and you yourself had that attitude in wanting to serve, um, sometimes I have a perception that it might not be received well, or that there would be sort of a coldness or a, or a, even a questioning of your motive. But I do agree with you that I think this pandemic has really leveled playing field of need and um, it's brought down a lot of walls and um, what you just described, I think is the perfect picture of it in, in helping, helping each other out. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, gosh, I mean, I, I kind of want to go on about the book, but I also don't want to give too much away. And the book is out today. Good Apple tales of a Southern evangelical in New York. One thing I do want to mention though, is y'all don't miss the footnotes. There are some <laughs> really, really funny lines that made me just laugh out loud and connect even more with you, Elizabeth, um, by things that you just happened to have thrown in, in the footnotes. So, um, the book is available everywhere you can get books. Um, obviously, we love supporting local independent booksellers. So if you've got one of those in your neighborhood, check with them and see if they've got a copy as well. Anything else that you would add about the book, Elizabeth? No, I just, y'all have been so gracious and um, in talking about it and, and letting people know. I, I agree. I love small bookstores and there are lots of them around the South who have the book. And so um, yes, support your, support your small bookstores. And thank you for, for, yeah, just being so positive and generous about it. Yeah. Well, peace be with you, Elizabeth. And also with y'all. <laughs>